0: Privilege to pray and to thank you again for being in the house of God. 2 Samuel chapter number 23. If you have a copy of the Word of God and want to turn along with us in the Scripture, we'll be in the book of 2 Samuel chapter number 23. I don't think I'll keep you very long tonight, but I want to try my best to be obedient and sensitive to the direction. And of the leadership of the Spirit of God, I feel as though i just got a, a word on my heart again for tonight. I want to try to be faithful in that that the Lord's given and to try our best to give you. I'm going to read a fairly lengthy portion of Scripture and a lot of names. And you may feel like there's no need to read it, but I feel compelled to do so. And we'll trust the Lord to help us get through them if you'll bear with us tonight. 2 Samuel chapter 23, if you'll stand, out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. 2 Samuel 23, I'll begin reading tonight in verse number 8. These be the names of the mighty men whom David had, the Tachmanite that sat in the seat, chief among the captains, the same was Adino the Eznite. He lifted up his spear against 800, whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, the Eohite, one of the three mighty men went with David when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle, and the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand clave under the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. And three of the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time under the cave of Adullam and the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Repham. And David was then in an hold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. He said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three Mighty men, and Abishai the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three, and he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them. And had the name among three was he not most honorable of three? Therefore he was their captain. Howbeit he attained not unto the first three. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel. Who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in the time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did AI, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. He was more honorable than the thirty, but he attained not to the first three. And David set him over his guard. Asiel, the brother of Joab, was one of the thirty. Elhanan, the son of Dodo, of Bethlehem. Shammah, the Herodite. Eliakah, the Herodite. Helaz, the Palpite. Ira, the son of Ichish, the Tekoite, Abazar the Anaphite, Mebanei, the Hushethite, Zalmon, the Ahohite, Uh, Meheri, the Natophethite, Heleb the son of Bana, a Natophethite, Ittai, the son of Riba, out of Gibeah, of the children of Benjamin, Benai, the Pirithonite, Hidei of the brooks of Gaash, Abiabon uh, the Arbathite, Asmaveth the Barhumite, Eliba the Shalbanite of the sons of Jason, Jonathan, Shema the Hararite, Ahim the son of Sharar, the Harahite, Eliphale, the son of Abishai uh, the son of Amakathite, Eliam the son of Ahithophel the Gilanite, Hezri the Carmelite, Peri the Arbite, Agal, the son of Nathan of Zoba, Bani, the Gadite, Zelek the Ammonite, Nahari, the Berethite, bearer to Joab, the son of Zeruah, Ira, an Ithrite, Gareb an Ithrite, Uriah, the Hittite, thirty and seven, in all. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I don't know if I pronounced all the names right, but it'll be all right. But I'm interested tonight, even though the word is not here in any of these verses that we read, it is found in Second Timothy chapter one, where Paul instructs Timothy. To be a good soldier. Uh, The Lord dealt with my heart this afternoon to preach about being a soldier. Now here in this scripture as I was pondering about being a soldier, now the word soldier is mentioned several times in the word of God. But it's only mentioned two times in reference to us as the people of God. Both of them are found in the book of 2 Timothy. And he tells Timothy to be a good soldier. And he says, No man that is a good soldier entangleth himself in the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath called him to be a soldier. As I was pondering about this thing of being a soldier, the Lord directed my thoughts and my heart to this chapter. Wherein we find the names of 37 of the mighty men that David had when he was king. Now David is ending his life. He's coming to the last days. Matter of fact, the first part of chapter 23 says these are some of the last words of David. David's an aged man and he's looking back on all the men that have served under him all the years of his life. We have to understand that David has been a man of war. Or that David has seen many battles and fought alongside of many valiant men. But he makes mention through the direction of the Holy Ghost. We have record here in 2 Samuel 23 and also in 1 Chronicles chapter 11. These same men are mentioned. 37 of them in particular are a standout from all the rest as mighty men of valor. Now, and of these 37, there are three that stand out above All other 37. But for the Bible begins to mention, and they mention these three to begin with, Adino and Eleazar and then Shammah. And then as he mentions the others, it tells that they were mighty men, but they attained not to the first three. As I was reading through this, and probably a lot of the names probably... Just went in one ear and out the other and probably don't mean a whole lot to us. But the reality is that I got down to verse number 39 and there's a name there that ought to ring a bell and ought to mean something to us. Uriah the Hittite. Now that's the man who David sent with his own hand back with him a letter and a Joab, the leader of the battle to put Uriah in the forefront and let everybody else pull away from him and let him die in the midst of battle. And the reason David could send the letter is that he trusted Uriah Number one, not to read the letter. He knew it was none of his business. It was between the man of God, the king, the leader, and the leader of the army. And so he trusted the character of Uriah to carry the letter. But he also trusted the character of Uriah that Uriah would not back down. Though everybody else who would and would retreat, Uriah would fight to the death. He knew that's the kind of man that Uriah was. Uriah had already demonstrated his character. We all know the story. The Bible said, now that's one place and I'm I'm being very respectful, but that's one place in the Scripture when I come time to read it, I really don't want to because I know what's going to take place. And the chapter starts out in the time when kings went forth to battle. And so David's rightful place was on the battlefield leading his men, but he wasn't there. But he was on the housetop and he saw a woman bathing and he called for her and he committed an with her. And then to come to find out she conceived and was with child and so David tried to figure out how he could cover his sin. He said, I know what I'll do. I'll send for Uriah. He'll come home. He'll go home to his wife and everybody will think it's Uriah's child. But he didn't count on the character of the man named Uriah. David brings him home. He said, i give you leave. Go and go in your own house. Eat with your wife. Spend time with her. I've given you a break. The Bible said the next morning when he opened the door there and laid your eye in the threshold of the door. And David said, what are you doing here? He said, my captain and the ark of God is out yonder in tents. I'm not going home while they're on the battlefield. And so David tried to get him drunk and even that didn't work because of the character of the man by the name of Uriah. But as I began to read this scripture... And read over these stories. There were some things that the Lord began to deal with my heart about. And I want to say uh, that even though this scripture says, mighty me, and I, in third, in second Timothy, there's a charge to every child of God, man, woman, boy, or girl, that we are soldiers in the army of God. And we need some real soldiers in these days. We're in the last days. We're in perilous times. We're in difficult times. We're in dark times, depressing times, a discouraging times. We need some people of God to be real soldiers in this day. Now, as I began to read, there's a whole lot that we could say. About all of these, we look at verse number eight. About this Adino, how he lifted up his spear against eight hundred, and one man slew eight hundred at one time. And Eliezer that he stood uh, and uh, fought so long that his hand clave to the sword. And I, there's a lot to say about that in our day. And then we could look at that Shammah, that there was a ground full of lentils. First. Chronicles chapter 11 said it was a piece of ground full of barley, but nevertheless it was food for the people of God and he was going to defend it with his life for his people. He knew that he needed to do something to protect and provide for the people of God and he was willing to give his life. As I began to read all these and the scripture goes on, talks about these three that broke through the host and went to the well at Bethlehem and Abishai and all these others and Benai and all—I I, began to notice some things. And uh, if the Lord helped me, I want to give you four things that make a mighty man or a mighty woman of valor. Out of this scripture, I think there are four things that can—I think there's a lot of things that can be said, but there are four that the Lord put on my heart as I began to read this scripture. Number one, I want to say, if we're going to be a real soldier, we're going to have to be fearless. Now, that does not mean arrogance. That does not mean uh, to be full of ourselves. That does not have anything to do with self righteousness. That has nothing to do with self-dependence but it has everything to do with dependence and confidence in the God that we're serving. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and said God hath not given us the spirit of fear. We are not to be afraid of the enemy. We are to be confident in the God that we serve. We have the spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. And if we're going to be a real soldier in these days we're going to have to be Fearless. These men in 2 Samuel twenty three, they did not fear the enemy. And it wasn't because that they were supernatural men. They were just flesh and blood like everybody else, but they had a confidence in the God that they served. That's what's going to take in our day. In our day in modern evangelism and modern religion and modern Christianity, we have come to the place that fearlessness means some kind of dependence upon ourselves. That we're to be rough and tough and big and bad. That has no scriptural application whatsoever of being a soldier in the army of God. But to be fearless means we have a confidence in the ability of the one that we're serving. Knowing that we are not leading ourselves into battle. We're not trying to figure it out for ourselves. But we have a mighty captain that goes before us into battle. And he's never lost a battle. And he never will lose a battle. I think it could be demonstrated like this, I thought, and I was just praying and asking the Lord about the service tonight. I thought about the, the day that uh, Elisha's there and he's uh, telling the king of Israel what the king of Samaria's doing and he gets angry and he sends uh, the most mighty men, their chariots and their horses, they can pass the city. And Elijah, Elisha knows something that the servant boy doesn't know. And the servant boy goes out and he sees all these chariots and these horsemen. He says, "Alas, Master, what are we going to do?" And Elisha's not shook up. Elisha's not afraid. It's not because Elisha's some superhuman. It's not because Elisha doesn't live in flesh and blood. For he does. He has faults and he has failures and he has weaknesses. But it's that Elisha has come to the conclusion that he has confidence in the God that he serves. And he kneels down and prays and said, Lord, open his eyes. And the Bible said his eyes were open. He saw chariots of fire and horses of fire all around the city. And Elisha said, fear not, there be more with us than there is with them. The reason he could not be afraid is not that Elisha was something or he was something. I mean, it was that their God was going to take care of them. That's why Elisha says, "Fear not," and that's why I can preach to you about fearing not to be fearless in the face of the enemy because of the confidence that we have in the God that we serve. The captain. Joshua stood that day at Jericho I believe ringing and twisting his hands worrying and wondering about what was going to take place and he saw the man with the sword drawn in his head and Joshua said are you for us or for adversary and he said nay I'm captain of the host of God right. he said if you follow me in the battle you'll win the victory that's what that's what many people's problem is in this day. And I'm, on, I'm talking about saved folk. They want to lead their self into battle. They want to face the enemy in their own power, their own wisdom, their own understanding, their own education. I'm telling you, we're no match for the enemy within ourselves, but we have a great captain. Greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And because of that, we can be fearless in this day. But not only do I see in looking at the Scripture that they were fearless, I also see that they were faithful. And I'm going to tell you that they were faithful in little things and big things. I already mentioned, one of them stood in the midst of a patch full of lentils. But he was willing to fight and be faithful over just that little patch because he knew the people of God needed it And we're dependent upon it. And the enemy had already taken so much from the people of God and he was determined that the enemy would not take that piece of ground. Now you and I would think that's some little thing but it got him a mention among the mighty men of David the king. Because he's faithful in little things. See in these days if I read my Bible we need some men and women who will be faithful. And see, most times, and I'm just preaching kind of a different gear tonight, but I think I'm doing what I'm supposed to do tonight. And these days faithfulness is all wrapped up and just coming into a building. But there's much more out of being faithful than just attending the sanctuary. Though that's great and that's needful and necessary. And you'll be a weak Christian if you don't attend the sanctuary. You won't get fed like you could if you don't attend the sanctuary. But there's more to faithfulness than just coming to the house of God. There's faithfulness on Monday. There's faithfulness at home. And there's faithfulness at the workplace. And there's faithfulness in front of our children. And there's faithfulness in front of our spouses. And there's faithfulness in front of the lost. And there's faithfulness in front of the world. And the Philistines probably didn't understand. They probably walked up on this man named Shema standing in a patch full of barley and thought he'll tuck. to 10, but he was determined to be faithful to his God and that's what we need in this day some men and women who are determined be it big or be it small there's no category about it we just need to be faithful be faithful the Bible said it's required in stewards that's a servant that's what we are that a man be found faithful that's a requirement for a New Testament soldier is that we're faithful To the captain. And our ultimate goal. Paul told Timothy. Is to please the captain. Not to please the brethren. Not to please our spouse. Not to please our children. Not to please religion. Not to please the church. But to please the captain. See, I'm afraid in these days many people are driven to please other people, and that's why faithfulness is lacking. We're doing what we're doing for everybody. It's not about everybody else, it's about faithfulness to God. If we do it to please Him, it'll all work out, it'll all fall into place. They were faithful. I want to say they were focused. I mean, these are just the things the Lord gave me, four little things. I was reading about these three men who David was there. He was in the cave. And the Philistines were in the valley and also had set up occupation in Bethlehem. And there was a well there and David said, Oh, if I could just have a drink from the well at Bethlehem. Now, three men. There's no telling how many Philistines. And they break out of camp and they go straight through the host of the Philistines, straight into Bethlehem and get their, their king water and bring it back. Why? Because they were focused on one thing that was pleasing the king. Right. I'm going to tell you where we fell short. One what place we fell so short in these days among the church is that we have lost focus on pleasing the king. We've lost focus on we want to please our parents. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. We want to please our children. We want to please this one. It's all about pleasing the king. And they brought the water back and David said, I can't drink this. He said, this is the blood of the men who jeopardied their lives to breathe. But they didn't care. They wanted to do what the king desired. thought about over yonder. And it's not a book that's preached out of a whole lot. There's beautiful, beautiful typology and, and a beautiful story in the book of Esther. I thought about when Esther goes in and that king, Ahasuerus, he disposes of Vashti and he sends out a letter to bring all the young maidens in the land and they're going to line up and come before the king and he's going to choose one of them. And they went into a man who was the king's chamberlain. And he, the scripture reads like that, they, that he took each maiden into the king's treasury, whatever she wanted, whatever dress she wanted, whatever necklace, whatever, Jew, whatever she wanted was given unto her to go before the king. And the Bible said when it was turned for Esther, or Hadassah, that was her Jewish name too, Come before the king. She went into the king's chamberlain. He took her in that room. And the Bible said she asked for nothing save what the king's chamberlain appointed her. In other words, if you read the Scripture, I think what's going on is they walk in that room and he says, Miss Esther, which dress do you want? And she says, what's the king's favorite color? And he says, well, this one is his favorite. She said, I'll take that one. She said, he said, what necklace do you want? He, she said, do you know that there's one among these the king likes above all the others? And he said, yeah, I know it.' And she said, I'll take that one. Whichever earrings, whichever shoes, whichever this, whatever will please the king, that's what I want for my life. That's what she's saying. And that's what we need in this day. We're too wrapped up in pleasing others. uh, God help us. We're too wrapped up in pleasing our own self, and our own flesh. We forget our chief occupation and duty and calling and responsibility is to please the King. We ought to approach every day. If you have a question, i got a good rule of thumb for you. And I'm preaching pastoral here just a minute. i got a good rule of thumb for you. If you're wondering about whether or not to do something or go somewhere or to wear something or whatever the question is, ask in your heart if it would please God for you to do it. And if there's a question about it, I'd leave it alone. Our chief duty is to be focused on please now you go. got to think, here's a little Jewish girl. Now, I didn't know I was going to get off on her, but man, it's so good. Here's a little Jewish girl. She ain't never seen dresses like this before. I mean, she don't even have a daddy. She's being raised by her uncle Mordecai. And she's never seen jewelry. She's never seen crowns. She's never seen shoes. But she never once loses her focus, she wants to please the king. I'm going to say and be honest with you, there are so many things in this world today to lure our attraction and distract us from doing what we ought to do. But God, help us to not lose focus to please the King, to please the Captain. That's the main job, of the main focus Paul said that a good soldier will do whatever it takes to please the one that called him to be a soldier. I'm sure when... And I'm kind of reading between the lines, but I think it's okay. I'm sure there was probably some conversation in the camp on that night. These three men and some of the other men probably tried to get them to stay. They said, "What are you doing? What do you mean you're going through re- going through the valley and going into Bethlehem and getting a drink from the well? You're going to lose your life. You better stay here. you better forget it." But they were all blinded. All they could see was what they wanted to do was what their king desired. And can I say, I don't want to kill it right here, but they did what they knew the king wanted, what none of their business, what the king did with it when they brought it back. That's right. They brought it back, they give it to the king. All they cared about, their job was done. It was accomplished when the cut, whatever. I don't know if they took a bucket, don't know if they took a cut. I don't know what they took, yes. but when it passed from their hand to his, yes. their job was done. And their thrill, their reward was to see the pleasure in the eyes of the king. Yes. And so they pass off the bucket, and David looks at it. Now he's asked for a drink, and so in their minds, they're thinking he's going to drink it and it's going to revive his spirit and about that time he pours it out but I never read where they got angry I never read where they questioned I never read where they went back home and went among themselves and said you want me to tell you what that king did and we spent all night took our our lives in our own hands to just get a drink of water and he poured it out the Bible said he did it unto the Lord That's good enough for them. Their king was happy. That's good enough for them. I'm telling you, we're missing out on a whole lot in these days because we've lost focus on the fact of whether or not what we're doing is making the king happy. And can I say, and I'm done, and I, I really don't mean to get off on this line again, but I'm glad I'm preaching to folks who don't have no problem with this. And I know it's what the Lord told me to say, so I'm just going to have to preach it. These men, they were fearless, and they were faithful, and they were focused. But every one of them followed the man of God. Whatever David, David was God's man for this hour. Matters not what we think about it. Matters not what He did. He was God's anointed for this hour. And what He said, they did. That's why they did not get angry when He poured the water out. They knew He was following the Lord. Now I'm going to say this, and you all know me very well. We've been together long enough. This type of mentality has been used, misused, and abused in this day. This does not mean for the preacher to do whatever he wants to outside the boundaries of this book right here. But it means that for in God's order, God leads the man, and the man leads the people. And the people follow God's man as God's man follows God. And if it's done in that order, God will honor His work. Because that's the way God set it up. He gave them David for this hour. They followed David's rules, David's regulations, David's commands that David was getting from God. And God honored them and blessed their efforts. They identified themselves with the people of God. And they identified themselves as with the people of God, with the man of God. And in identifying with all that, they were identifying themselves first of all with God. And that's the reason Shammah stood in the midst of a piece of ground because he identified with God and God's man and God's people. That's why the other came to the sword fought till his weary couldn't fight no more and he and the sword became one. That's what we need in this day is for us to fight until we're so weary that us and the sword just become one. Let God have His way. It's not about our strength anyway. It's about His strength. Our strength comes when we're weak. When we're weak, He's strong. We need some soldiers. It's untold what could be done. I don't remember 100% who said it. Maybe D.L. Moody. He's been gone a long time. He said the world's yet to see what God can do with one man or one woman wholly committed to Him. We read these verses. I'm not talking about no extra biblical interpretation, but I mean we read about a man who one man slew 800 men because he was God's soldier and focused on pleasing God. And God gave him the power to stand against 800 by himself. About a man who stood in a piece of ground when everybody else retreated, he stood and defended it because God gave him the power. One man who fought till his hand claimed to the sword and God gave him power to do it. And others, we read about Others. There's one man in there who said he slew two lions like men a Moab. And then he went down in a pit with a lion and slew the lion. Then he slew an Egyptian with his own spear. Not his spear, but the Egyptian spear. Went after him with well, a staff, took the Egyptian spear. And you say, how did he do that? God gave him the power. I'm not preaching no charismatic doctrine, but I'm preaching the Bible. And my Bible says, now unto him that's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think, according to the power that worketh, ETH, continual in us. When we get focused in on pleasing the king, when we ask God for help to be faithful when we get confidence through the help of God and the aid of the Holy Spirit to be fearless in spite of the foe, we can fight with supernatural power. There's a power at work in us. And it's not a power of this world. But thank God it's a holy power. And it's working A continual working. It's at work now. It'll be at work tomorrow. And the next day if you're saved, that power worketh in you. And God can do with you. I really believe that's the interpretation of the verse. It's the power working in us and God can with us do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Have you ever come through a storm and while you were in the storm you looked at the storm and thought you'd never make it out alive but yet you're on the other side looking back and you don't have any idea how you made it. I'll tell you how. It's according to the power that worketh in us. Carry a burden that's way too heavy for you to bear and there's nowhere in the scripture it ever says He'll not put more on you than you can handle. But He won't put more on you than He can handle. And you don't understand how you bore the burden, how you made it through. It's according to power that worketh in us. The Lord told me tonight to preach to you about being a soldier. I don't want to just be any average soldier. I want to, by the help of God, got it in my heart, to be a mighty man, to be fearless and faithful. God help me to be focused on pleasing the King. Let nothing else, Lord, matter besides pleasing Him. He's the only one that matters anyway. One writer wrote the song, "He is really all that matters," and that's right. And we better live our life as so that He is really all that matters. Please the Captain. Please the King. Father, I thank you tonight for the privilege and the opportunity to have been in your house tonight with your people. What a blessing. Lord, it's been to be here. I thank you for help in preaching. I thank you for liberty to preach, Lord. Freedom. Lord, I don't want to ever take for granted Lord, the freedom that I feel in my heart to preach tonight. I Thank you, Lord, for hearing ears and receptive hearts that have heard and taken in the Word of God. I'm thankful, Lord, tonight for the Holy Ghost that can take the Word farther than my words and Put it in the hearts of the individuals that needed to hear tonight. Lord, would you work on me, Lord, to be a soldier, to be a mighty man, to be focused on pleasing you. Lord, help me to face tomorrow focused on pleasing you. To get up in the morning, and Lord, let being pleasing to you be first on my list and first in my heart. Lord, the enemy may raise his head, but Lord, I'm glad there's a power at work in me. Lord, not because of who I am, but Lord, because of who you are. Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to live a life pleasing in your sight. Lord, to please you, to be a soldier, please the captain. Thank you, Lord, for a good Lord's Day. and Good privileges to have been in your house today with your people. Lord, I love you tonight, and I thank you for loving me. Thank you for this place to come together that you've given us and this people to worship with. I thank you for that. Lord, we pray for your will in the days ahead. Lord, we have great confidence in you and know, Lord, that you'll do according to your plan and purpose. Lord, my heart rejoices in knowing, Lord, that you knew before we ever had our first service in this building. Lord, you knew about the next two Sundays. And our need for direction. And Lord you didn't just start working last week. But Lord you started working before the first service here. Lord to give us direction Lord. For your will for the days ahead. I'm glad you're a God like that. Lord you've given direction in the past. Unquestionable direction. Lord I'm trusting that you'll do it again. I love you tonight Lord. Help me to please you. Help us to please you as a people as a church, as a congregation, as individuals, as a pastor. Help me, Lord, to please you, I pray. We'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen.